Mark chapter 2. It says, After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and word got around that he was back home. A crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so that no one could get in or out, and he was teaching the word. They brought a paraplegic to him, carried by four men. When they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on his stretcher. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, Son, I forgive your sins. Well, some religion scholars sitting there started whispering amongst themselves, He can't talk that way. That's blasphemy. God and only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew right away what they were thinking, and he said, Why are you so skeptical? Which is simpler, to say to the paraplegic, I forgive your sins, or to say, Get up, take your stretcher, and start walking? Well, just so that it's clear, I'm the Son of Man, and I'm authorized to do either or both. He looked now at the paraplegic, and he said, Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And the man did it. He got up, he grabbed his stretcher, and he walked out with everyone there watching him. They rubbed their eyes incredulous, and then they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What a great story. Let's pray. Father, bless your word to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Amen. No more high fives. I think maybe it would be a good exercise for our staff to tally up the total number of high fives that we're requesting on a given Sunday morning between everybody that gets up here and asks you to high-five somebody. Everywhere that Jesus went, uh, there were crowds that seemed to follow him. It seemed that wherever he was, there was, uh, there were, the Bible uses this word, there were, there were throngs of people that would follow him. And I'm so uncomfortable with that word, and I don't know why. Um, there were throngs of people. Bieber, this is what I say, Bieber has crowds, Jesus had throngs, okay? It was, it was like a, it was a whole different level of intensity. And here again, in the story that we've got, there is this crowd that is listening to Jesus, and it's so crowded that that people are packed in. Have you ever been at a concert or at a, at a, at, you know, something like a, you know, some of, some of you might have gone down to like the Blackhawks, you know, celebration in Grant Park or something like that, or the Cubs celebration in, in Grant Park sometime in the past hundred years. And so, um, you know, being there, if you're really up close, have you ever been in that moment where you're in the crowd and you can't do anything and the crowd starts to move and you have no choice? <laughs> you're just like, you, you can't go get, I imagine that this is, this is, the crowd is packed in so tight to try and hear what Jesus is saying that there is no room for anybody to move. Now, Mark's gospel in particular, if you're reading the four different accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Mark's in particular is light on the words of Jesus and it's heavy on the actions of Jesus. Okay, you get a, it's action packed, 16 chapters, and it, it's always Jesus, and then, and then, and then suddenly, and then immediately, uh, Jesus would do this. It was always his actions, and so we aren't really given any specifics from Mark on what Jesus was teaching on. It'd be cool to know what was he saying, you know, seven principles to a successful life? Probably not, right? But we, we can know that, that uh, we have accounts of his teaching, but really what Mark is after here is what exactly happened while Jesus was talking to the crowd. As people pressed in to hear him, this paraplegic is unable to get to Jesus. There are so many people there, right? But there are no solutions to this man's problem. So 
if you take notes, and I really encourage you to do this, um, and I, I'm a note taker. When I hear sermons, I, I not only take what's on the screen, I only, not only jot down what's on the screen, which is what the, what the, uh, you know, the, the, the speaker really wants you to remember or to notice or to call out, but I also just kind of take notes on what I hear them say that really impacts me. And it, it's a blessing when I go back later. It really is impactful later when I look at that. I I'm, I'm usually get uh, encouraged again partly because of what they said and partly because of what I, what I am able to see about what I was really impacted by at that moment. So let me just say this to you, for those of you who like to keep score and take notes. It's possible to have multitudes but no miracles. It's possible to have a lot of people and be in the midst of that, and, you know, like, just because you're in the crowd doesn't mean you found Jesus, Okay. Uh, you know, we make that mistake as, as pastors, as leaders sometimes. We love a crowd. You know, we just, we're like, oh, man, it'd be so great. You know, when every seat is filled in this, in this room, it's going to be so great. When people are lining up outside the door, it's going to be so great. Well, it's not so great for the people who are lining up outside the door. But, you know, we feel great about it, right? But it's possible to have multitudes of people but no miracles, which is what is happening right here. There are all these people, and this man didn't need the multitude. What he needed was a miracle, right? He didn't just need, you know, like the, 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 the experience. He actually needed change in his life. Now, I think that it's today, if we look at our culture, people are interested in all the time in how wide a network can I build, right? How many followers do I have on the gram? How many people am I influencing at work? Even our playtime now gets turned into performance and posturing because we're like, I just gotta, gotta get the right angle for what, how the fun that I'm having right here. Wait, let's do that fun thing again so I can make sure that I can post it later on, right? And we're really interested in building our followers up and widening our network. And, and this is the problem, folks. You can, you can widen your network, but, but what you really need in your life, most of us here, we don't need a wider network. We need a deeper network. We don't need to go wider. We need to go deeper. I say it about young people these days that, that so many of them are starving for love but settling for likes. They're desperate for that deep experience in, 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 in intimacy and love, both with Jesus and with other people in their lives. The miracle that we need is not going to be in the crowd. It's going to be in a personal, powerful encounter with the living God through Christ. Most of the people who were there, we can assume from so many other passages in the Bible, they were probably looking for the wrong thing. They were there so that Jesus could teach them, but Jesus was there so he could transform them. There was a difference. Now, Acts 15.9 says this. We should not make it difficult for unbelievers who are turning to God. This was at a moment in the church's history, very, very early on, when there started to be people who were coming to faith in Christ who were outsiders to Judaism. And there was this big question, what do we do with them? Do they need to become Jews first? Because for those of you who don't know, Christianity has its roots in the Jewish faith that, 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 it, that Christianity sees itself as the fulfillment of the Jewish expectations and hope. And, and so these, these early believers, most of them, nearly all of them were Jews to begin with. And then as, as non-Jewish people began to come in to the faith, they were saying, what do we need to do? And, and basically they decided they don't have to become Jews first. And we're all thankful for that, right? Okay? They, they, they don't have to follow these, these, uh, these, these, 
these laws that were very regimented about how you would eat and how you would conduct yourself. And it was, they, they basically said, let's not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult for unbelievers who are turning to God. And I love that line because I, I thought about it. On our vision night, I shared it again with us to say, this is going to be our program, even on Sunday mornings, that we're going to say, we should not make it difficult. As a matter of fact, our dream team starts showing up here at 6 a.m. to set the table for you. If you're here for your first time or if you've been with us week to week for a long time, I, I just, I just want to say this. The whole purpose of us getting together like this is we are setting the table so that we can actually have that deep encounter with the Lord. That's what we're after. Like we are saying, we want to remove every obstacle. We want to remove every, we want to swing the doors open wide, literally and figuratively to say, come and find an account, find a relationship with God. Find forgiveness. Find life through Christ. Mark introduces us, this, this gospel writer Mark introduces us to a man who's paralyzed from the waist down. He can't walk. And so in this culture and at this time especially, the deck was stacked against him. His whole life, I've said this before, his whole life would have been limited to like what I imagine to be a three-by-five space. Without any power to move himself with his legs, then it was just the mat that he would sit on. And, and whatever, whatever it was, uh, he would have been a burden to everybody around him. And not only that, the stigma that would have been attached to this condition in his day, in his day and age would have hung over his whole life. But I want you to see here something. He is lacking in so many areas. He is, the deck is stacked against him in so many different ways. But in this one area, he has something going for him. Because against all odds, he has four real friends who see past his weaknesses and, and see past his, his, the, the issues that he's got with his legs and see his value as a person. Call them the Fantastic Four. Superheroes. Right? In some way. He had a small group. We can say it like that. He had a small group, right? He had a squad. He had a circle. He had friends. And these friends are bold enough to upset his routine to get him to Jesus. I love it. Real friends want to see you changed by Jesus. Real friends want to see you changed by Jesus. They see something in you that maybe other people don't see. They believe something for you. Maybe that you can't even believe for yourself. Everybody hold out your hand like this. Let me see. You hold your palm in front of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you your future right now. He said, man, it just got weird in here. He's trying to palm. No, I'm not going to palm read. I just want you to, I want you to look at, I want you to think of the five people who you're closest to in your life. One, two, three, four, five. Those five people, I can show you your future if you tell me your five friends. Your friends are going to determine your future in so many different ways. Now you can put your hands down because I think there is a, a fundamental need in each one of us to be deeply known and deeply loved, completely and unconditionally loved. So much of what's broken in us comes from this, from, from lacking this in our lives. I mean, it might be somebody who has known us but not loved us or maybe didn't love us enough, said they loved us but didn't care about us enough to even truly know us. But most of us have these, these 
mem- I have vivid memories. I've shared with you, like, you know, a few stories like this, but I have this vivid memory of, of going to, like, Sears when I was a kid. And this was like a, like an insecurity. I like to share these things because, you know, we're all insecure in different ways. And for those of you guys who are younger, you know, maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, and you're like, man, I just can't wait to be an adult and be totally confident. Uh, right, right, adults? Yeah, we're just, there's nothing but confidence when you're an adult, right? Um, it doesn't turn out like that. You still have all those. I, I, I have this vivid memory of going to Sears uh, to shop for jeans back in the day because my dad worked for Sears and we got a discount there and so we bought everything from Sears. And so after trying on, my mom was really patient. She's kind of a saintly person and she was just like, she would let me do my thing and I would try on all these jeans and they were, they were too tight um, and because and I, I was, you know, I was a stocky kid, right? Pudgy. <laughs> and then my mom would say, Stephen, do you want to look over here? And Sears had, like, they had regular jeans. It was the worst. They had regular jeans, and then they had, and some of you are old enough to remember this, they had Huskies. Huskies were the jeans for, like, the full-figured boys, <laughs> which is a, Awful, awful name, right? It's just, I've reflected on this so many times in my life, why this, you know, I'm like, what? why would you call your jeans Huskies? It's, you name them Fatties or Junk in the Trunkies or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. It's like so, like, just bold, like, hey, you know, and so that was where, that was, you know, what I would have to do. And that alone gave me a complex as a kid that I was wearing Husky jeans, Right. I mean, I've talked, I joke around, and I've told stories about, you know, the mild ridicule that I had to endure, like most children do in different, in different settings, but some of you here, you, you carry some deep wounds. Some of us carry deep wounds from being rejected by people that we loved or people that we wanted to be loved by in our lives. It's, it's, it's deep thing. Many of us have been judged unfairly, mistreated, or rejected because we didn't measure up in some way. And I think what is really awesome about this story is in these four friends, we see something different. They had every reason to maybe not, you know, just to say, no, thank you. But instead, they're willing to carry him in his weakness, and he's willing to be carried by them. They say, let's go. We're going to get you to Jesus. (laughs) I like that. I love the fact that when they get to the point where the crowd is pressing in and there's no way for them to get to Jesus, they have to improvise. And I like this because in every group, if you put four guys together, I feel like I'm just going back and reflecting on four, you know, me and three friends when I was in junior high or in high school. Uh, You know, there's usually one guy who has the ideas. There's usually two guys who are going to go along with it, and there's one guy who needs to be convinced, right? And that's basically how it always is. And you know, right as I said that, you know who you were at this moment. Like, you're like, I was the guy with the ideas, or I was the guy that needed to be convinced, or I was the person that was just like, sure, I'll do it. So one of them has this idea, and I just think it's so cool how they had to improvise and how they were willing to get out there and do this. Because as Jesus is teaching, I just imagine this thing where he's going through his, his sermons or his teaching or whatever else, and then little by little there's this, there's this dirt and thatch and stuff that begins to fall down on the people gathered below. And they're looking up, and then Jesus eventually looks up, and what he sees after they busted a hole in the roof is he sees these four dusty faces looking down, thinking... Did we get the right spot? (laughs) And I think it's a great picture to imagine those four faces peering down 
through that hole in the roof. Because that's four faces of faith. Faith will always set the stage for God to act. It's the fish and the loaves that are offered to Jesus. The pressing through the crowd by that woman to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It's the blind man's cry for mercy over the noise of the crowd. Faith always sets the stage for God to act. That's why when we get together, I, 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 I want to challenge you to have faith. It's interesting that Jesus didn't just go about just doing stuff and just, you know, zapping people who weren't asking for it. It always seems like the people would come to him and say, will you please, the centurion, Jesus, I have a servant who needs to be healed, but I'm a man under authority, and I know that if you'll only say the word, you, I don't even have to trouble you by coming to my house. If you just say the word, you'll heal him. And isn't it great? Jesus says about this guy, he says, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Faith sets the stage for God to act. So you in your life have these things that you're believing for or looking for or hoping for. I want to encourage you today. Do not shrink back in fear. Do not settle when you say, well, you know what? I've been praying for them to come to Christ for, I don't know, for how long, but I, I just, I just given up on it. Don't give up on them. Continue to step out in faith. Talk to them. Love them. Minister to them. I'm just praying for the, you know, for, I just believe, you know what, I know how challenging it is when we experience sickness and loved ones near us are sick, and, and, and we know how imperfectly we walk through that, and not every person that we pray for is healed, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't just continue to believe and trust and have faith and ask God. Sometimes I have faith for a friend who doesn't have enough for themselves, Mark tells us that the paralyzed man gets lowered down and Jesus is moved. Uh, he's moved. There's something inside of Jesus that just is, uh, you know, impacted by what he sees. But it says that when Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith, it wasn't the faith of the man on the mat. I imagine he might have been like, hey, I'm really sorry. It was, <laughs> it was them. Sorry to interrupt. You know, who knows if he was apologetic or quiet. We don't know anything about what the man said. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the faith of the friends, that it was what moved him to heal the man. These four guys cared for their friend enough to create this experience for him, to set him up, to set the table, almost like, we, like that phrase that I use all the time, to say, hey, I'm going to get you right there. We're going to do everything we can to get you right to the moment where Jesus can impact you. The Bible says Jesus saw their faith, and here's what it looked like. Four dusty faces, sweating, <laughs> through a hole in the roof. And I think it's probably one of the, one of the best pictures, one of the, one of the pictures that we have of humanity at its best. I used to, I've led a lot of missions teams to different places around the world, and one of the common threads for missions trips is sweat. <laughs> Pretty much wherever you go, unless you're in a, you know, a climate that's... Uh, but, you know, sometimes, even then, you're probably likely to sweat. Un uncomfortable. Nobody looks their best. People look busted on missions trips. Let me just tell you right up, right up front. You know, you like, you're like, who is that new person on our trip? Oh, that's Mike. He, he, that's what he looks like on a missions trip. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say to people, like, I, for these, you know, whatever, eight to ten days that we've got, you get to try on your best self. 
I think that's why young people are really impacted by missions trips. And why, parents sometimes struggle with this because they're like, you know, you'll, you'll come to them and you'll be like, man, your daughter was amazing. She was just so wonderful, helpful. Nobody had to ask her. She was just out there serving. And the, and the parent, almost invariably over the years, I've heard parents say this. Well, I don't see her at home. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew her at home, right? And I'm like, I, I know, I know. Because for these eight to 10 days, they're trying on their best self, right? Not that you see them their worst self, <laughs> right? That's the parent's job. But they're trying on their best self. And this is what it looks like. When you are at your best self, it's, it's, it's you're sweaty, tired, sweaty, <laughs> But for 10 days, you are going to be in that moment where you are, like, not worrying about you for the, that time. You're literally focused on somebody else's needs. You're ministering. You're serving. You're, you're, you're tired out at the end of the day because you've been poured out for other people. And you're sharing this mission shoulder to shoulder with somebody else. Let me, let me just say that the, the, the deepest friendships are nurtured by a shared mission. These four friends, they, they had to be tight because they were like, you know what? It wasn't enough for they didn't say, you know, hey, we heard the crowds are really, there's no way we're going to get this stretcher to Jesus. I'm sorry, man. We love you. <laughs> they said, we're going to do whatever it takes. We've got a mission. Shoulder to shoulder, a common vision, a common goal. That's why church is a great place to build friendships. When we're willing to devote ourselves to one another and really work to see Christ formed in others, there's almost nothing better than that. So this man's friends lower him through the roof, and Jesus sees not just a broken body, but he sees a broken soul. And so he speaks tenderly to this man who has been marginalized, who has been judged harshly and deemed inferior. And he says to this man and to others, he says, you are clean. It is well between you and your heavenly Father. I would say that the joy of any true friend is to see everything right between you and God. That's really the joy of every true friend. The teachers of the law, those religious leaders that, that Mark talks about in, in, that, in his account, they didn't really have a reason to punch a hole in the roof, did they? And this is why Jesus wasn't impressed by them at all. I mean, who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like the religious folks or do you want to be like that etiquette challenge group of roof crashers? <laughs> Right? They were bothered by, by what they saw. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and they're, they're offended by it. They're indignant about it. Who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And the thing is, they were right. But they didn't know. Jesus turns to them, and he asks, which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal? Which is kind of like saying, which of these things is harder? You think the words are cheap? They're not. Jesus is saying it's harder to forgive sins than to heal bodies. He was the only one at that moment who knew the price that was about to be paid for this man's forgiveness. Do you know that God doesn't take forgiveness lightly? Do you know that it's, as, as much as we might say, oh, that's easy, you know, to say, do you know that it came at a cost? Do you know that it came at, I mean, do you know that sin itself has a, has a cost? That's why it's so costly to forgive. Sin has a price. Sin has a cost. Sin is what disintegrates families and destroys lives and wrecks communities. The hatred, the violence, the racism, 
the classism, the resentments, the indifference that we see every day in our world, not just here in our nation, but all around the world. That, those are all expressions of the sinful human heart. That's what it is. And I want to say this very plainly for those of you who wonder about this. Does God, ha God does have a hatred. He hates sin. And God hates sin because he loves people. God hates sin because he knows better than you and me how destructive it is. So what a moment when Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes get all indignant. How could he say that? And Jesus says, you guys don't get anything, do you? But just so you know, just so you know that I have the authority not just to forgive sin, but to heal this man. And then he tells the man to rise. And the most astounding thing happens. These legs that had atrophied for years from paralysis were all of a sudden instantly made strong enough to stand. And this man, whose world had been no bigger than just three feet by five feet up until that point, in, in as, as long as we know about in his life, this man's world goes from three feet by five feet to as far as his legs can carry him. And you know to walk out of the place, remember how tight the crowd, everybody had to take a step back. <laughs> I mean, they see, I just imagine it because the crowd was pressing in so much. And so I can only imagine that as soon as, as soon as the man stands up, everybody steps back. Whoa! And Jesus says, take up your mat and get out of here. And he says, well, I better do what he says to do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Pardon, pardon me, excuse me. <laughs> But the Bible says that everybody begins to celebrate. <laughs> I mean, the place kind of, you just imagine that people are, they're so amazed. This is, this is what I'm thinking. Let me just tell you, these past four weeks have been a blessing for me, three weeks, I guess. But it, leading into vision, it seems like I had prayed and I said, Lord, I just need, I just need encouragement, me. And over these past three weeks, I have heard so many stories, I can't count them, or, or to be honest, I can't even I couldn't even recount all of them and remember all of them right now of people whose lives have been changed by what's going on here. I love it. Makes me want to celebrate. Makes me want to rejoice. And I think this, I want you to see this, it comes because though this, this man's life has changed and so many of the stories have a common thread that I've heard and that is these people had friends that cared about them. And this is what a true friend does. A true friend wants to make your world bigger. That's what they do. They say, you know, it's not enough that you stay this way. Yeah, you might be accustomed to this three-by-five world, but we want your world to be bigger. A true friend will fight for you to go as far as God's will and strength can carry you. They'll go with you on the, on the wildest, riskiest, God-inspired journeys. They'll make your world bigger. And if you want to be a friend to somebody else, you need to think that way. How do I make their world bigger? And then once we see God work, how do we celebrate it? I mean, you imagine that they began praising God. They began celebrating. They began raising the roof. That's super corny. I really want you guys, some of you guys are like, that was too corny, you know, but that's what I... Somebody remind me, never do this again on stage, okay? They began celebrating. 
because they had a reason to. Folks, we have a reason. There are people sitting in here. There are people who are, are, are close to us who are literally experiencing life change as we speak. Their lives are being renewed. They're, and not just that, they're, they're thinking about their situation, but God is thinking about uh, generations. It's not just their life that's being renewed. It's, it's what's, what's about to come through them. It's about, it's about their children and their children's children that are going to be different because of what God is doing in them today. So we have a reason to rejoice and to celebrate. Praise the Lord. I don't really want anything else for New City Church than for us just to be a group of friends on a God-inspired journey together. So here's a few questions for you. Normally I'd have you bow your heads, but I don't want you to bow your heads. I want you to look at the screen. <laughs> Whose mat are you carrying? Are you vulnerable enough to let somebody carry yours? I mean, you looked at those, those, those five people that you're closest to. Would you describe those kind of friendships as the mat-carrying kind of friendships? If not, there's wisdom and grace and help for you to develop that. That's the first question. Secondly, is there a friend in your life who you need to bring to Jesus? Are you willing to dig a hole in the roof for them? I mean, are you willing to put your reputation and... Are you even willing, or do you care about them enough to even put your friendship on the line a little bit? That's the crazy thing. Say, you know what, I don't know how, they're, maybe they're going to think differently of me, but I want to tell them what God has done in my life, and I want to I challenge them to have faith to believe for Jesus to do that in their life. Who do you need to bring to Jesus? Who do you need to get to Jesus? Uh, on our vision night, I challenged people. I, the, our whole, so maybe some, many of you were there, some of you weren't. I said this, uh, you know, we talk about our journey that we want to take people on here at New City Church to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And, and literally, I just, uh, we want to invite people to do that. And I imagine that this should happen by friendships, to say to a friend, hey, I want you to know God. And start there. And I, I, I said this. I said, just give me, there's 52 weekends in the year. Give me four. Keep 48. Not even give me. It's not, it doesn't give me four. Just think in terms of four weekends a year, I'm going to bring a friend. I'm going to find four people in my life that I could bring to say, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're not churched. Maybe they were church. Maybe they grew up in church. They're not there now. They, they don't know Jesus. You know that there needs to be a work done in their life. And you say, you find those people. It could be somebody at work. It could be a neighbor, whatever else. Just give me, just give four weekends. Keep the other 48. <laughs> Start there. Bring them to Jesus. Number three question. Are you willing to have faith for a friend when they don't have enough for themselves? Our, our, a lot of times when, a, when, when people are discouraged, they, they talk at us, and, and, and it's too easy for us to be like, yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Ah, it's just, uh. But are you willing to actually say, no, I'm going to believe for you. I know you don't have to believe right now. You don't, you don't, I know you can't. You're, you're discouraged, and I understand that. I get it, but I can believe for you. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to bring your name before my, I'm going to bring your name before the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to be. And let me tell you, for me, throughout the week, I don't know. There's a dozen people at least that I'm texting saying, "Hey, I'm praying for you today. This morning, I'm praying for you." There's even more people that I don't text them because it's too early. <laughs> but there's people. I, hey, I, I know. And my thing is, I, you don't have to. I'm just telling you, so you know. You don't. Maybe you don't have any faith, but I'm. I'm, I'm praying for you. 
When we start this new season in, in, a, in a few weeks of groups at New City, I, I just we're going to challenge you to actually create some new friendships, not just to hang with the old friendships, but to create some new friendships. And maybe, you know, to kind of expand your world and maybe to serve somebody else, maybe carry somebody else's mat. Or for some of you guys, just be willing to let somebody else carry yours. Fourth and last question. When was the last time that you celebrated God's work in a friend's life? When was the last time you just threw a party for a friend just because literally to say, hey, man, we are like a group of friends get together and say, we're so proud of you. We see what God is doing in your life. We're taking you out to dinner tonight. I mean, that's not a thing that we do. We're like, happy birthday, you know. Uh, you know, like another birthday party, you know. Why, why celebrate? I mean, I know we have, why we celebrate it because it's cultural. It's tradition. That's great. And everybody, some of you guys, like, you live for your birthday. I can't understand you at all, but you love birthdays so much. But wouldn't it be great if we just had parties because we saw God working in somebody's life? Hey, we're all getting together to celebrate what we see happening in, 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 in so-and-so's life. When was the last time you did that? The Bible says that you and I were made for friendship. We were made, first of all, for friendship with God. The sin that I talked about, no matter how, what expression it takes, and I talked about the big things, you know, but, but even the little things, the lying and cheating and the stealing, crosswords, you know, that, that, all of it, all of it, any sin is a relationship wrecker, right? In a marriage, in a friendship, sin is a relationship wrecker. And this is what the Bible says when you and I chose to sin, and we all have, when we all walked on that path of sin, it ruined, it wrecked our relationship with God. The holy God that we sang about in worship, in, in worship do, does not have fellowship, does not have a connection with people who, who are standing for the thing that he hates. This is, this is what it says. The Bible says that we aren't just sinning against another person when we do that. We're actually sinning against God who made them in his image. And the true cost of our sin is that we are alienated and distanced from God. God loves people too much to be okay with sin. And so the Bible says that, that you and I were under judgment because of our sin. But the miracle is, even though we were deserving of judgment, God showed us mercy because Jesus took the judgment upon himself. Even though you and I deserve to be cast out at a distance, the Bible says that we've been invited in because Jesus himself was willing to be cast out in our place. He took our punishment and he took our place. The Apostle Paul said it like this, God put the wrong on him who never did any wrong so that we could be put right with God. And if you're here today and you are not right with God, I know why you're here today. I know why you're sitting in that seat. It's so that you can be put right with God. 